Father, we, um, we come before your throne tonight, and Lord, no matter what we feel like or what we've gone through, Lord, there's just this Father on the throne who loves us so much with such intense desire and emotion and affection and loving kindness. So, Father, we ask that your love would be poured out in this room and in, through Facebook Live and through the recording and podcast. Lord, I ask you to release understanding of your heart, even as we talk about your servant Gideon and how you revealed yourself to him. So come, Holy Spirit, and make these truths alive. Give us ears to hear tonight. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Well, once again, the God of Gideon, if you're watching through Facebook Live, the notes are on the website, uh, gphop.org slash teachings. Um, they're free if you come in the room. <laughs> they're also free on the website. But uh, those are out there if you're wanting to go along with me. I was studying through, well, what I'm doing right now in my personal devotional time is I'm going Old Testament book, New Testament book. I'm just going back and forth. Um, by the grace of God, I've read the Bible many, many times. And so I try to get, I try to get creative. I've read literally the Bible front and frontwards and backwards many times. And so I try to just keep it interesting. So now I'm just kind of going Old Testament book, New Testament, back and forth. And I'm reading through it that time uh, or that way this time. And so I found myself in the book of Judges and just stunned by the life of Gideon once again. I mean, he's just a little story just kind of mixed in to many stories of the Old Testament, but just got so much life studying those three chapters about Gideon in Judges 6 through 8. So I want to encourage you to study the life of Gideon. It's very short, three chapters. And uh, before I get too far ahead of myself, let me just touch on the intro here, because as I've been studying the life of Gideon, it, it reminded me that there are certain ways that God reveals himself to certain people. And so what I wrote down here is when we think of the God of something, like we think God of Elijah, we think the God who answers by fire on Mount Carmel. Or maybe we think of the God of Moses who plagues Egypt because they wouldn't let Israel go. You know, we think of like the God of Moses, God of Elijah. Maybe we think of the God of Joseph who, you know, we see the, though it was difficult, we see what God had in mind for Joseph. But we don't think of like the God of Gideon when we start talking about, you know, the God of somebody. We always think Elijah, we think the fire falling. Lord, where's the, where's the God of Elijah in our day? That was the popular saying for a while. But the reality is, is God chooses particular people throughout the Bible to reveal himself in certain ways. And he's not different to every person. He's the same God. He's, he never changes but the way he reveals himself through Elijah or Joseph or Moses or Noah or Gideon, like we're going to find out, 
he reveals a little bit more information on, in all these people. And so we put it all together to see who God is. But because God is so vast, he's so immense, he highlights certain things about himself through different people. And so we get a really unique view of what God's like through Gideon, and that's why I want to focus on it. We get a unique view of what he's like, but also we get a view of kind of things people don't talk about. Because we talk about, God of Elijah, send fire on the altar. We want the fire. And we hear that. Or plague evil, plague Egypt, God. You know, we, we can resonate with that. We hear that a lot. But there is so much more to God than like the fire and the plagues and you know, Joseph, like, there's just so much to him. And the life of Gideon is so worth understanding. So again, this isn't really like, if you think of the top 10 list of, you know, the God of somebody, you don't think Gideon necessarily, but that's why we're going to focus on him. He's kind of a, a hidden gem we got to connect with. Now I want to just say this again. God's not going to be different to you and different to me and, you know, different to the, this guy and that guy. It's not, you know, a thousand versions of God. It's one God that we worship as Christians. One God. But he's so big, there's parts of him that are highlighted in different people's lives. And so the way the Lord may reveal himself to you is going to be different than the way he reveals himself to somebody else or and he reveals himself in different ways and different streams of the body of Christ. He's just so big to be contained by one person or one ministry or one country. He's just so big. And so we just keep our heart open and we study every person in the Bible to see what he's like. And here's the thing. We keep our heart open to all sorts of different perspectives because God is bigger than my favorite Bible verses. <laughs> he, he's bigger than your favorite denomination or my favorite theological persuasion or this author or that. I mean, he's, he reveals himself in part to everybody. And so to get more understanding of who he is, we keep our heart open, we keep our mind open, and we just stay teachable. Some people kind of have this notion that like, their church or their denomination or their favorite books are kind of like the right ones when there's a lot of truth there, but it's like one grain of sand on the eternal seashore or it's like one little bucket of water from the endless ocean that's God. And so we just, we want to just study the whole Bible. God, what were you revealed like in every person's life? Because I want to know all about you. And also today, when we see a virtue in someone's life, we're like, wow, I didn't really know God was like that. We just, we pay attention. So I try to receive from many leaders. I try to receive from many expressions of the body of Christ around the world because I want a fuller understanding of the Lord. I don't just want to know him in my little stream. I want to know all about him in as many, in as many ways. Now, just real quick in the introduction here, just for historical purposes, just to kind of find out where we are in the story here. Moses has come and gone. 
Joshua has come and gone, who is the successor to Moses. And now we find ourselves in the Old Testament in the book of Judges is literally there were there. It's kind of the in between the main first leaders, Moses and Joshua kings were going to be who reigned over Israel. But in that in between period, there were people called judges and God raised up different judges for different periods of time to lead God's people. It was always God's heart that he would be the leader, which is an unusual governmental concept. But God's heart is that God would be the president of Israel. I mean, we don't think of it like that. And so in this time, he was still not honoring. I mean, there was coming a time where people were like, we want to be like every other nation. Give us a king. And so God conceded to their desire, but it wasn't ultimately what he really thought was best. Of course, God's omniscient. He knows all things. He's sovereign over all things, and he knew what was coming. But we're still in that period where it was as if the Lord himself were king, yet not physically there, and leading through prophetic people and leading through these men and women. There was a woman Deborah, who were the leaders of the nation for a season of time, some short and some long. So that's kind of where we're at. Now, this was a difficult time in Israel's history as it was often tumultuous. And so, you know, one leader would die who was good and then the people would go worshiping other gods again. And so there was this back and forth. They were doing evil in the eyes of the Lord, we're told, and judges. And so what God would do, and he still does to this day, When the people of God turn away from God, the primary way that the Lord gives them a wake-up call is He sends in an army. That was the primary judgment God used throughout the Old Testament narrative, and I believe still to this day, the primary means of judgment is an invasion of a military sort of conquest. And every time a military invasion would happen, pretty much every time, the people would say, oh no, we forgot to worship God. We have to go worship Him again. And so they would repent and then they would defeat their enemies and it was just this endless cycle nearly. And so that's where we're at this time period. Israel has done evil in the eyes of the Lord. There's this there's this uh, military conflict that's beginning to unfold. And so the Lord begins to raise up judges. And one of those judges is Gideon. So we'll go to Judges 6, skip down to number 2 on the notes there. Judges 6, and it says right here, verse 1, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, so... The Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. Again, so Israel does evil. God raises up a foreign army and gives them over to that foreign army, which means they start losing battles and wars. And so it gets the attention of the nation. And then in his mercy, he raises up a judge who helps turn them back to the Lord and win a military victory. That's just how it happened over and over and over and over. 
And it's like every generation had to learn it. I honestly believe he still leads this way. And that if we as uh, cities and nations depart from God, although his leadership over Israel is special and it is unique, but the same God of Israel is the God of the whole world. And so we as present day countries, if we uh, serve him and then stop serving him, he, he has no problem giving us wake up calls. Because he sees eternity way more than we do. And so he would rather wake up a nation through severe means than just let everybody check out for the rest of time. And so we see Gideon begins to surface in Judges 6 through 11. But the way that we find Gideon, it's, it's so like God. We skip down to Judges 11. This is on the notes. It says, The angel of the Lord... Again, a few months ago, as this pandemic started, we did about five weeks studying angels. The angel of the Lord is understood to be the pre-incarnate Christ. Many scholars would argue this is Jesus in disguise, and He shows up all through the Old Testament. It says, The angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abezrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. It says in verse 12, And the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and says to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. So Gideon's just going about life. He's doing what his father tells him to do. There's looming military conflict. The Midianites are, uh, have come in and exerted their influence and their pressure. So there's even a point where there are certain things that are being done in secret. They were hiding this, this wheat process uh, for fear of being caught. I don't know all the details there. So there, there was just a unique time. And the last person that's thinking, I'm going to lead a military victory against the Midianites, is this guy right here, Brother Gideon. The Lord kind of just out of nowhere appears to him and says, The Lord is with you. You mighty man of valor. You brave man. God is with you. Courageous man of God. God is with you. Kind of a neat word to get just out of nowhere. Now, if the Lord appeared to me like that, I'd kind of probably be spooked. And Gideon just begins to talk to this angel like it's normal life. Gideon says, oh Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? Next week I'm going to break down that very question. It's such an intriguing question. There is difficulty, there's uncertainty in the land. The angel of the Lord appears. God's with you. You're a man of valor. Why is it? Why is this happening? We're going to break that down next week, probably. But what we want to just focus in on tonight is the God of Gideon calls us what we will be. The God of Gideon calls us what we will be. 
We don't know Gideon's past. We don't know what Gideon was into in that moment. We just know God shows up and says, you are a mighty man of valor. And so what we find out about the God of Gideon right away, the first thing he says is this exhortation. I know what you feel like. I know what you see yourself as, but I just want you to know I'm God and I think you're valiant. God begins to call forth the greatness out of Gideon, although Gideon, we're going to find out soon, had no feelings of importance at all in his life. He just regular guy just doing his life. What we find out through Gideon's life about God is, I'm just going to say it again, he sees what we will be and tells us about it today. He sees where we're going. He sees the virtue we're going to have. He sees the character we're going to have, the job responsibility we're going to have, and he begins to speak it to us in advance. God relates to us based on who we are becoming, not just who we were in the past, not just who we are right here tonight. He sees what we don't see in ourselves. Here's an interesting thought. Even though we live in our own skin, He knows us better than we know us. He knows the future and He knows your future. And so just like he says to Gideon, mighty man of valor, he says things over your life where he's calling you into the future. He's not just rebuking you for all you've done wrong. Many people view God this way. They think God is always angry with their past or he's disappointed about their today. The God of the Bible is saying, I see who you're becoming, and so I want to talk to you about that now. This is who you're going to be. God speaks to Gideon in this moment about his bravery and his leadership far before Gideon felt that about himself. I just think it's so interesting in Judges 6.15 after the Lord says He's this mighty man. Oh Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest. I am the least in my father's house. I am nobody. There's this sense of, I see what you don't see. And so I'm going to call that out because I have a strategic purpose for your life. There's a strategic purpose for your life, for those who are on Facebook Live, those in this room, those hearing this recording. There is a strategic purpose for your life. There is a way that you're going to glorify God that no one else will. And so he's talking to you about that even right now. It, it's a foreshadow of, of an instance in the New Testament. It's not the only foreshadow, but it... It's similar to, I guess is a better way to say that, as when Jesus meets Peter and Jesus, well, his name was Simon. He goes, Simon, I want you to know, you're not just Simon, you're Peter. Peter means rock. Long before Peter was rock solid, 
Jesus was calling him the rock. And so we see in the Old Testament, we see in the New Testament, God comes to people and says who they are before they are that. And a lot of people are they're stuck thinking God's angry with all the things they did in their past. He's way up out front of them saying, here's who you're becoming. That's who I'm interested in talking to you about. I mean, I'm sure Simon was as shocked as anybody when the Lord says, hey, you're rock solid, bro. Peter's like, you don't know me. And Peter was about to go through a lot of failure, but guess what? Jesus is an accurate prophet. Whenever he speaks, those words do not fail. Peter ended up being one of the mightiest pillars in the history of the church. See, sometimes we think that because we go through rough patches or we have a shady history or because we have a couple blunders along the way that the Lord just kind of has this perpetual disappointment in us. He's not like us. He has this full view and he goes, I see where I see over here where you're more mature, you're solid, you're this, you're that. And I'm talking to you about that person over there. And so there was this initial encouragement that really struck Gideon and caused his heart to come alive. I got to go quicker. Now, practically speaking, this is what I've experienced in my life. Often, we, we get a sense of who God is, what He's saying to us through personal prophetic ministry. We do that here uh, pretty regularly. In fact, in a couple weeks, we're going to have a Friday night where we just do a time of prophetic ministry. And then that gives a team of people time to just pray, hear from God, and share what they are feeling uh, God is saying to others. And that just does something deep in our heart. I've received... Man, I, I tell people I was for, you know, when I first got saved, I got prophetic words. I'd get in line every Sunday. I would go wherever there was prophetic ministry. I would get it literally as much as I could. So, I mean, I got, I can't even count how many prophetic words I've gotten. It's hundreds and hundreds of prophetic words. And, and when I would, there were themes that began to get touched on and you know, when I was 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 years old, people would say, you need to start making notes. You need to think about, you know, leadership and prayer. And I mean, I would get all these puzzle pieces and I'd always think, what? I remember one guy once prophesied to me and he just was like, bro, you are going to be teaching the Bible. You have no idea. And I just thought, I have no interest in that. I, I don't, I have no, I, I don't even know the Bible that well. And, you know, 15 years goes by and the Lord like winks at you and he's like, I, I told you in advance. And so this has happened many times and it'll happen to you again and again. God will speak of where your life is going. And some people think, well, I'm older. No, you might have 30, 40, 50 more years. So God's going to begin to speak over your life of where you're going in the next 10, 20 years. So just never count yourself out ever. You know, sometimes like, there's people who are like my age and they're like, I'm so old. I'm not 20 anymore. It's like, bro, you might live for another 70 years. Like, you know, you got to get out of that mindset. 
You know, I, I like to go back to Anna. Anna was commissioned in her 80s at the minimum. You know, she sought the Lord till she was an elderly person, and then the Lord launches her into ministry. And there's others that have a similar story. So God reveals Himself, the God of Gideon. He calls us what we will be. He just does. And so if the Lord begins to speak over you something, you're like, I don't know if... Just trust Him. Trust Him that He'll work it out in His time. There, I tell this all the time. I never in my wildest dreams thought I would start a ministry, lead a ministry, preach on the Bible, lead prayer meetings, never in my life. And then... And then when God began to open that door, I just was like, okay, I guess, I guess this is it. Let's go down to number two. The God of Gideon chooses the humble. After Gideon was commissioned by the angel of the Lord to lead Israel in military conflict, he acknowledged how weak his clan was and how, of how little importance he thought he was. I just read this. Judges 6.15, Gideon, or God says to Gideon, hey, you're this mighty man of valor. They have this conversation. Why is all this happening? What can you explain to me? And the Lord just says, go. You're valiant. You're brave. You're courageous. I've chosen you. Go do it. And then Gideon kind of gets in this little debate with the angel of the Lord himself and says, you don't understand. I am so weak. My whole clan says it right here. My clan is the weakest. We are the least powerful. It's kind of like, you know, who's the best, who's the best uh, basketball team in the NBA right now? I don't even know. I, 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 don't, I don't know who the best. So it'd be like the equivalent of the worst team in the league, the Lord choosing that team and then the guy that's least on that team, God picks that guy. Yeah, just to give it a sports analogy. Now, Lord, you don't understand. We, how are we going to win a championship? This is We are the worst team in the league, and I am number 15 on the depth chart of 15 players. There's no way I'm going to make a difference. And the Lord says, you're my guy because you think that way. Because you're the type of person that everyone will know God did that, not that person, because they couldn't have done it. And so the Lord looks for people who are like, God, I, you just got the wrong guy. The person who's convinced, I'm so talented, God probably needs me. They don't last long in leadership. They get into trouble real quick. It's the person on the back row who no one really thinks that's the guy God looks for to do really great things. In fact, that's the 12 he picked. The 12 he picked were completely untrained in, in, in every way, shape, or form that would made, have made them look in the natural like these are going to be world shakers. In fact, there's a verse in the New Testament about the 12. It says they were untrained, they were uneducated, but they'd been with Jesus. Oh man, that's just a weighty word right there. No training, no education, but they'd been with God. Oh man, I want that to be the story of my life. 
I'm not against education and I'm not against training. I think we should do that. But nothing takes the place of being with the Lord. Anyway, moving on here. God chooses the humble. This is why God chose Gideon. And it's why He chooses people today. The more we're convinced, you know what, I'm just going to do my regular life. And if the Lord wants to use me, that's His business. If He doesn't want to use me, I'm just going to do my thing. He loves to reach out and go, you know what? You you may be a little lacking in confidence. So here, I'm going to give you a little boost. I see you're going to be a valiant warrior. Really? But you don't understand. Lord, look at why is all this happening and just go. Go in the might of yours. Go in the strength that I've given you. You're the right person. It's funny how... um, Humble people, they just know they need God. Proud people are kind of like, they think, well, God's kind of blessed to have me. God kind of needs my ministry. God kind of needs... Those people just don't last. The people who are truly humble, or to use a Sermon on the Mount term, poor in spirit, they seek God because they really are convinced They are nothing. And they're convinced nobody is anything. We need God more than anything else. And so he picks those people who just know they need God. He picks people that will seek to obey at all costs. And he he picks people who will repent when they fall short. He picks people that will prioritize time with him above all else. Gideon begins to arise and he begins to be victorious. He begins to get a lot of favor. The people want to make him ruler. And he says, no thanks. I mean, it's just the the craziest statement. Judges 8.22. Judges 8.22. The men of Israel said to Gideon, rule over us, both you and your sons and grandson also, for you have delivered us from the hand of Midian. I've been fast forwarding in the story, obviously. Gideon says, I'm not going to rule over you. My sons won't either. The Lord shall rule over you. Gideon was just happy to do his part. He didn't get into presumption. He didn't overextend how important he was just because the Lord gave him a few victories. I'm just going to do my assignment. The Lord chose me, and I want nothing more or less than that. I'm not going to begin to presume that I'm some big God supposed to be your leader. And so, he begins to foreshadow the people in Israel who tried to crown Jesus as king. It says that when they did that, Jesus slipped through the middle. He wanted nothing to do with the human crown. He knew the crown he was going to get involved the cross. He wanted the crown after the cross. He didn't want the crown before the cross. He had a mission to do, and he wanted nothing else to do with anything except that mission. And so we see like these Christ-like illusions even in Gideon's life. I just love Gideon. So God, the God of Gideon, calls us what we will be. The God of Gideon chooses the humble. And lastly tonight that we'll look at, the God of Gideon leads his chosen leaders with unconventional wisdom. 
Oh, I just love this. Just before they go out to fight the Midianites, of course they win. I already spoiled it. Sorry about that. Gideon has this rather sizable army of 32,000 soldiers. God tells him, go in this might of yours. He gets this army amassed. God says, Gideon, there's only one problem. Imagine being Gideon right now, okay? Gideon, I really appreciate all the zeal. You know, you've done what I said, but the army of 32,000, it's too big. Excuse me, Lord, did you, did you misspeak? The whole point of an army is to get as big as possible so that the other team loses. And the Lord says, no, but I see numbers differently than you do. And really, the only person in the battle that matters really is ultimately me. (laughs) And so the God of Gideon begins to share this unconventional wisdom, and we see that he sees numbers differently than we do. Gideon's like, I got this big old army, 32,000. Lord says, I I need less, actually, because if you win with 32,000, everybody's going to think it was the army that did it, and I need people to think it was me that did it. So I need less people. Okay, how many, how many do you want me to, you know, Gideon's sinking five or ten, uh, you know, leave. The Lord says, here's an idea. Proclaim in the hearing of the people saying, whoever's afraid, just go home. This is literally what God tells Gideon to do. If you're afraid, just go home. And so, they depart. 22,000 people leave. 10,000 remain. Two-thirds of the army. I mean, I'd be kind of afraid too. I wouldn't want to die necessarily. So two-thirds of the army leave. So it goes from 32,000. Now we're down to close to 10,000. The Lord says, Gideon, still too big. Lord, what? I don't, I appreciate that I'm the guy or you, you know, you called me and all this, but are you, do you, understand how to do military <laughs> i'm sure like gideon's like i don't know and and the lord it was it was like gideon i'm the lord of hosts i'm the greatest military strategist ever but just trust me once more here's another thing i'm gonna have take all your guys to the to the to the shore and whoever gets down on their knees and kind of What's, what's it say here? The people are still too many. Bring them to the water and I will test them. And this is what the test will be. The one uh, who goes with you um, no, brings the people to the water and the Lord says, everyone who laps the water with his tongue like a dog, set them apart. And everyone who gets down on their knees to drink. Uh, so a number of them lapped, putting their hand to the mouth. So anybody that gets down to the water with their tongue, put them in a group, and anybody that uses their hand, put them in a group. 300 men use their hand to their mouth, and the Lord says, by the 300 men, that's going to be your army. Starts with 30,000, gets down to 10. Now we're at 300. Unconventional wisdom. 
Let me just say this. The God of Gideon, He just does things different. He doesn't need huge things to get stuff done. He needs the right people with the right heart. He needs just twos and threes praying. He needs twelves following Christ. He needs the 70. I mean, in the one sense, he needs nothing. I'm talking about what does God need to accomplish certain things? Nowhere near what we think he needs. More and more, the thinking of modern Christianity is get bigger, get louder, get more connected in a network. And I think we've, we've strayed from the unconventional of wisdom that says, let me prune you down. Let me get you from the 30,000 to the 300 so that people will know when I do something great, it wasn't the group. It was God. There's so many groups out there that are trying to be the group to do some big thing so that their name grows, so this and that. And the Lord says, no, I'm not interested in that. What I'm interested in is just a few broken people who everybody will know what just happened in that city could only have been the Jesus they're preaching. They're not capable of doing that. And so the God of Gideon, He calls us what we will be. He calls the humble And He calls us into this unconventional wisdom. And we would do well to follow it even if we don't understand. Six and a half to seven years ago, the Lord said, Derek, I want you to lay down a nice corporate job and just go get a prayer ministry going. Okay, Lord, I don't have a building. If you give me a building, I'll do it. Within a week, I told nobody except God in heaven. Within a week, somebody out of nowhere says, I don't even know if you're thinking about this. If you need a building to pray in, I got one for you. You know, we talk about fleeces a lot still to this day. Gideon is the person that fleeces come from Gideon's story. We'll probably talk about that next week. I don't throw out fleeces every day or week or month or year or even every 10 years. But when the Lord is really serious and we really do like, okay, this is real... There is liberty to go, God, I just need you to confirm this so that I know it's real. Often he'll, he'll honor that request as he did with Gideon. So I leave you with that tonight. We serve the God of Gideon. He, he calls us what we will be. He calls, us, calls, calls, if I can say it, the humble. And he calls us with unconventional wisdom. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you, friends, online, and we'll check back in next time.